Welcome everyone, you're listening to the Pedagogy Podcast. I'm your host, 2021 New Jersey State Teacher of the Year, Angel Santiago, and my guest today is one of my county teacher cohort teammates, 2021 Passaic County Teacher of the Year, Ms. Megan Graziano. How are you, Megan? I'm wonderful, Angel. Thank you for having me on today. I'm so excited. I'm excited as well. Thank you for coming on our show. Uh, and we'll start off just getting to know a little bit about you, especially uh, exactly where you work. So uh, what district do you work for? I teach at Clifton High School in Clifton, New Jersey, which is in Passaic County. All right. Awesome. And, and what subjects, what's your uh, area of expertise? Uh, so right now I'm teaching ninth grade biology. Um, however, I've had experience teaching environmental science, forensic science, seventh grade science, eighth grade science, um, biotechnology. I've, I've taught a ton of courses throughout my, uh, my teaching career, but right now I'm just teaching biology. Bio biotechnology. That is an interesting classroom. Uh, can you get into a little bit about that class? I'm, I'm not too sure I understand fully. I'm an English teacher, so. Well, this was actually a course that I had the opportunity to kind of build from the ground up. This was at my previous district um, where they were looking for new STEM focused um, uh, classes, you know, courses for the students to teach after they've met their minimum requirements, their electives. And so we would talk about just the various ways that um, biotechnology is being infused, whether we're talking about in medicine and in industry, we would talk about um, how we're using um, living organisms to create fuel sources um, and just all sorts of things like that. Uh, so I'm gathering uh, you like science a lot. Uh, <laughs> so that brings me back to, well, let's go back in time. Let's go back to when you were a student with science and teaching in general, something that you wanted to pursue um, when you were younger. When did you really figure out you wanted to become a teacher? I didn't know I wanted to be a teacher until after college, actually. Awesome. Um, so as a young student, I was just somebody who always loved school and I loved to be challenged academically. I was somebody who was always involved in m multiple extracurriculars, um, taking the courses that were most challenging to me. Really, that was kind of my thing. I loved to be challenged and busy. <laughs> um, so I had a great experience in my public education, my public school education. I grew up in Rutherford, New Jersey, which had some really great schools. It was very small community. I only graduated with about 150 classmates. Um, and then I went on to study at Marist College, where while I was there, I was a biomedical sciences major with a minor in psychology. And really I went into it just because I wanted to be challenged. And in my opinion, you know, kind of going that pre-med route was going to be challenging. And lucky for me, I absolutely fell in love with the science. Um, I had some amazing professors. One professor in particular taught several of my science courses and he was my advisor, um, Dr. Betancourt. And I was just in awe of him all the time. You know, he was so smart and he created this ability in me to see the connection between life, you know, the way that we're connected to our environment and how, you know, I as an organism and am connected to, you know, a tree and a bird and, you know, the microorganisms and how it's all so interlocked. And I just found science to be so beautiful specifically biology. Um, and so I was going the route of pre-med. I was thinking maybe med school, maybe dental school. 
Um, but after working with some people in those fields, right, after some internships and some shadowing experiences, I realized that wasn't really the route for me. Um, you know, the lifestyle that I was looking for wasn't going to work, I guess, with, with the kind of lifestyle that went in these fields. When it came to being a doctor, I'm a little emotional <laughs> and I knew I couldn't really handle the idea of, of losing patience and the, the level of stress um, of having to make life and death decisions in that moment. You know, that was a little bit too much for me. Um, and so, you know, at that point, I kind of stepped back and said to myself, I love science. You know, what can I do with this? And I worked in a lab for a little bit, doing a little bit of research. The people there were, again, brilliant, but very introverted. And that's not me. I love to work with people. To me, interacting with people was um, very important. And I knew I wanted to spend my life building relationships. And so um, teaching just seemed to be the natural pathway for me. I, um, I really reflected back on, on my life and I was always happiest in the classroom. And so um, I decided to take a chance and I started substituting and um, I got my, my certificate of eligibility. Um, and eventually I was lucky enough to be hired as a long-term sub for my first real teaching opportunity. Awesome. And I think it's very important for even those of us who are listening who may not be enrolled in a teacher prep or uh, program, or maybe you already graduated and education is one of those areas that seems interesting to you. Uh, we are always looking for people who are, uh, you know, have degrees, advanced degrees and in, in medical and biology and all the sciences and mathematics. That's an area that um, we desperately need teachers in. Uh, so being someone from that area, right? And then you went the alternative route uh, pathway, right? And a lot of our teachers may be going that way or, or, or have done that journey before. Can you explain to us a little bit about the process of what it takes for those who are interested in coming into the education from another profession? When, it, when you go the alternate route, what does it take to do that? So I can speak to what it was about 15 years ago. I don't know if it's changed between now and then. Um, but for me, um, unfortunately, my first job, because I was hired in January, I couldn't be enrolled in an alternate route program. So I was strictly just like a full-time sub. Um, and But again, that job led me then to my first full-time hire. So when I was hired that September, um, I was also then enrolled in the alternate route program. So the way that worked was I had to first apply for my certificate of eligibility. The outlines for exactly what's required in that. It's, you know, proof of your degree, proof of an amount of certain hours, courses you've taken. And I had to take um, my praxis exams as well. So all of those scores went off to the state and they award me a certificate of eligibility. At that point, I was able to essentially apply for jobs but without a full-time teaching certificate, just with this certificate of eligibility. So once I was hired um, in my first full-time position, throughout my first year of teaching, I was paired with a mentor who I worked with closely in my district, and I had to attend my alternate route courses. Um, that was something run through the state. I actually attended my courses at Montclair High School, actually, okay. and we met on um, Wednesday nights and every Saturday for about... It was like 
three hours on Wednesday nights and eight hours every Saturday um, for the entire school year. And this was an opportunity for all of these people um, who were all going the alternate route to come together to get some form of formal training, you know, in the education programs that a lot of other people were able to get when they were in college that none of us had. Um, but really, one of the coolest things about it was it was an opportunity for us to come together and talk about our successes and our challenges and build up really the first what I view as now is almost like a PLC, right? Like your first community of educators um, who were really all going through something very similar. Even though in my class, I had, you know, elementary school teachers to high school teachers to phys ed, to math, to science. I mean, we were all teaching such different courses and different grade levels, but we were all going through this very similar challenge all at the same time. It was very cathartic, those meetings. Absolutely. And uh, I, I believe, it, you know, once again, another time, another area for you to actually network and and to keep connections. Um, you can essentially look at that as another way for those of us who are looking for jobs and who have our, our CE. And uh, that class could be another opportunity for you to find an opportunity to become a teacher in another district by networking. So take those opportunities, network, uh, and really build your community larger. And, and I think that's a it's a great way to look about it. Obviously, um, some of some of the things may have changed from 15 years ago. But what uh, what Megan is saying is is basically um, what holds true nowadays. You still have to take those courses. I believe most public institutions in the state of New Jersey offer alternative route for teaching. Um, but anyway, right after you got your degree or after you got your certificate, um, what was your first job and how did you feel your first year as a full teacher? So my first job, um, I taught at Woodridge, which is a very small district. It's very close to where I grew up in Rutherford. Um, the building is a combined high school, middle school. And so as a first year teacher, again, with no student teaching experience, no real experience with formal instruction, I had four preps, um, which was a lot, and they were all lab sciences. So I felt, as I'm sure all first year teachers do, like I was just treading water the entire year. Um, but again, I loved what I was doing and so I didn't mind that I had to work so hard. Um, I basically spent the first year forming relationships, collecting resources. And I was very fortunate um, that, that during that year, I formed some friendships with some of the other science teachers in the department. It was a small department. There were only five science teachers in the whole department. And they, a lot of them really did have the attitude of teamwork which we don't often see um, in education. Sometimes we're lucky enough that we find great colleagues who are willing to share resources and take you under their wings. Um, I developed such a close friendship, in fact, with, with um, one of the teachers that I met during my first year that she was a bridesmaid in my wedding and is now the godmother of one of my sons. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, very powerful relationship built very early on. Um, but I really learned the beauty of working together with colleagues where her and I would spend all of our free time, our prep periods, our lunch periods, just bouncing ideas off of each other, developing something and then figuring out ways to improve it. Um, 
And it became this really great back and forth. And that's just kind of because that was my first real year of teaching. That's something I've carried with me throughout my entire career. And and I've just cherished that. Absolutely. Once again, we go back to forming those relationships. Uh, for those of us who are newer teachers and those of us getting into the profession, that is the number one thing I tell newer teachers to do is just find people, gravitate to those who are willing to help build a connection because Megan and I, we, ne we didn't get to this point being County Teachers of the Year without begging, borrowing, and stealing our way to it. And I, I mean, there's a network of teachers behind me that I say I could probably pick out of, you know, the people who I work with who can all be considered, uh, you know, honorable teachers and, and, and could all win some type of award. So, uh, yeah. And you want to gravitate towards the positive people. Yes. You know, surround yourself with that positive energy because it is truly like you feed off of it you know and positivity builds positivity and ambition builds ambition and you end up really just pushing yourself to be a better person when those people around you are supporting you and you know and you're pushing them it's, it's a powerful thing specifically in our job it, it becomes like she said a second family literally quite literally a second family and 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 when you get to the point to where we are in our careers it, it is our responsibility to be those people too, those that our newer teachers gravitate to. And I love working with newer teachers because they have unriddled optimism. They want to change the world. And sometimes when you get into this profession, you get a little pessimistic or knocked down a little bit. And I love working with new teachers because they just invigorate me. They make me want to, I'm on board. I'm jumping with you. We're going to change the world. Yeah, we're definitely doing this together. There's also so much that you can learn from them mm -hmm. and they can learn from you. It's, you know, you might have one teacher who, because of their experience, they have resources, they have great classroom management skills, but then you have this new young teacher who comes in with these great new technology tools, right? And they've got great new ways to connect the content to the students that some of the older teachers may not be aware of. You know, as you know, and as everybody I'm sure listening knows, this is a field where you have to always be open to learning and growing. And Absolutely. really, we are each other's best resources for that. Definitely. So you've been uh, County Teacher of the Year for almost a year now. We're coming up on a year. Oh, my gosh. That went by fast. I know. Um, so how does it feel? What, do you, what are some of the opportunities being thrown your way uh, because you are a County Teacher of the Year? Well, um, I feel like I have had the opportunity to reach out, you know, to some of the younger teachers in the district, which has been really nice. I do truly wish that we weren't living in this time of a pandemic because I feel like there probably would have been a little bit more that I would have been able to do. For instance, Angel, I hate that I've only ever seen you over the computer. Yeah. You know, I, and, I was just going to say that. <laughs> you know, we still haven't met yet together as a cohort, which kind of breaks my heart. Um, but it's just been kind of amazing. And I use it to really try to reach out and celebrate the teachers when I see them doing well, specifically those in my district. Um, you know, when I see great programs that they're putting on, I just, it's not that I'm doing this as County Teacher of the Year, but after being recognized and appreciated for a lot of the hard work that I do, um, I really see the value in that. And I'm trying to make it a point to do that a lot more in my district. Something as small as just writing an email to say, hey, I saw on social media this program you did. I think that's really awesome. You know, I, I want you to see that people notice it, we recognize it, and good for you. Because oftentimes, 
we all go through periods where we feel like we're working so hard and we just are exhausted and we feel like maybe nobody's seeing this, right? Maybe yeah. nobody knows all the hard work that I'm doing. Um, so, you know, in a small way, I'm just trying to make it a point to let other teachers know, I see you, I see the work you're doing and it's amazing and it's appreciated. And that message rings so true this year during a pandemic where, you know, um, you feel most of our colleagues have been fighting tooth and nail and just have been kind of beaten down. And, and, and it's no to no fault of anyone. It's just the situation that we are here in right now. Um, you know, we're trying to get an economy back rolling, but our teachers want to feel safe. They want to be they want to go back in the classroom in a safe moment, but they miss their kids at the same time. And that emotionally plays on us as well. Uh, when it is all said and done, and I calculate it, it'll be over a year that I've been in the classroom with students because of the pandemic and because of the sabbatical. And that was something that I didn't even realize. Um, and, 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 you know, that plays on our emotions. So just to have, you know, the 22 County Teachers of the Year out there really speaking positivity about the teachers in their district and having people like you and Rachel and, and the rest of, of the cohort, it's... It's been a blessing, especially during this year. Um, so... Yeah, and it's been really nice to get to know what's going on in other districts, mm -hmm. just through connecting with some of the other um, of our cohort members through social media, right? Every once in a while, seeing something that, you know, a lab that Michelle Williams is posting her students doing. Always. You know, and it's just, it's, it's really nice to see all of the good that is still happening during this difficult time. Yeah, we've done a, a fantastic job, and I, I always go back to the whole grace thing. Allow yourself some grace because, in 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 a year that everything was left up to the wind, you came up to bat and you knocked it out of the park. All right, so just you know, give yourself some grace. All of us are doing a great job, especially our county teachers who have really taken upon themselves in the middle of the pandemic to continue to highlight. Uh, their their districts and, and just do, doing an all around great job. So thank you for that. Um, so that brings me to really talking about the great work you do in your district. Um, you know, March when this comes out, March is going to be we're going to be celebrating uh, Social Emotional Learning Month, um, and this is coming out in March. And one of those aspects, one of those methods of injecting social emotional learning into our schools is that mentorship, that mentoring program. And I read a little bit about the Heroes and Cool Kids, but I want I want it to come from you. I want to know a little bit more about how that program works. What is it and how does it work? Sure. So Heroes and Cool Kids is actually um, a statewide program where we have... Um, at their level, at the top level, mm -hmm. there are professional athletes, there are professional um, public speakers who train our students, our high school students, in order to go down to the middle schools, and they actually also train middle school students to go down into the elementary levels to teach lessons on important topics, um, just like bullying, um, wellness, perseverance, right, working through difficult times, um, and actually eventually we get to the topics of like substance abuse and alcohol and, and smoking um but it's just such an amazing experience at every single level for these kids so our high school students get the training from our mentors from our hero and cool kids mentors and then they enter into the classrooms where they are given free reign 
you know, they run the lesson, they get the kids out of their seats, they get them interacting, they get them to open up, they get the kids, they really focus first on building a relationship with them through icebreaker games and um, scenarios where they can get the students to really open up. But then they deliver information that honestly, as an adult, we can say these things to the students and it, you know, might go in one ear and out the other. But when it's coming from a student, right, that you look up to, it's just so much more impactful. Um, I always say, just try to picture yourself when you were in sixth grade, how much, you know, a high schooler walked by you and you're like, whoa, I feel like it's the way some of us as adults look at professional athletes, right? It's like, man, look at that kid. He's so big. He must be so cool. And they form this connection very quickly. Um, I've seen some really powerful results. Um, as the lesson goes on, we leave a question box in the room where students can leave anonymous questions behind for, for our students to read and then they can answer them. Um, and we've had sixth graders admit to things like suicidal thoughts, mm. abuse at home, um, and you know, by then working with the teacher and with the administrators, we're able to figure out who it is and get those students the help they need. And again, these are students who some of them, they, you know, the, the middle schools may be aware that these problems exist, but we've actually uncovered some situations where they didn't. Wow. And um, now not only is it fantastic that we're able to get that middle schooler the help they deserve, but the feeling of accomplishment that my high schoolers feel, right? When they go into that classroom and they understand that what they're doing truly makes a difference, it's enough to fill up my heart and just make it burst. It's it's such a wonderful program. And I'm so happy that we were able to bring it to Clifton High School. Now, this is a program I don't run it by myself. I do have a co-advisor, Mirta Lopez, um, who is a school counselor. And I believe that because um, her point of view as a school counselor is so valuable in a program like this, um, because of her resources, you know, dealing with students' social, social and emotional needs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's able to provide such a unique, important point of view when handling a lot of these situations. Absolutely. Um, I have a question for you on, on the aspect of an elementary school teacher. How does an elementary school teacher get involved in this program? Uh, not necessarily maybe as a, as a teaching aspect, but how could we have maybe a middle school come to, to our school and, you know, put on a, an hour lesson for our kids? Is there so, any contact information that we can have? I believe, I mean, what I would do if I were you, I would speak to somebody in your district. Um, specifically, I know for us, our counseling department um, handles it. We do get funding from a grant that okay. pays for, you know, a portion of our participation in this program. Um, um, and then they would be able to reach out to Heroes and Cool Kids, you know, to get the awesome. information. I could certainly provide you with contact information for, for the people there, but they do have a website and you could definitely That's get into contact with them there. You would basically have to establish it at the middle school to ensure that those students were getting the training they need and then they could go down to, uh, to teach the lessons at the elementary level. So the, it's great because then it builds, like the kids who get the lessons in elementary school want to be back. part of the program in middle school and then those kids, I mean, I'm at a point now, this is our fourth year doing the program and I have tons of students now who did participate in this in middle school and they're pros, you know, by the time they get to high school. So it's like, oh no, they're freshmen, are they gonna be okay? But 
you know, they've been doing this now for several years and, and it's just awesome to watch. I'm extremely, I love this. I love this uh, program. It's something that I want to look up and I, I definitely want to put um, the website on our podcast information. So I'm going to get the website and put that up. I think this is a great opportunity for districts to really um, employ our children. I mean, I guess the, the best way to teach a kid is to, you know, train them. And then at, at the last point, they become the trainer, they become the teacher. And I, I love how the mobility, right? They, they come back they, in middle, in, in elementary school, they're the ones learning. And then the middle school, they can be teaching and high school, they can teach even more. I love that aspect. Um, and it also opens up the pool for, you know, those of our students who never thought they could become a teacher. Well, this is a very rewarding, rewarding profession. And you get a little taste of that. Um, so hopefully we can open up some minds that way. Uh, when it comes to your expertise or your subject areas, science and STEM seems to be something that you're very passionate about. I know there are some difficulties with teaching science and STEM and mathematics, especially during the pandemic, but I wanted to know some of the methods that you employed during this pandemic when it comes to teaching your subject area. Sure. So yes, for sure. One of our challenges right now is the fact that I, I've been teaching virtually. Um, for the majority of this school year. Uh, in a typical school year, I would actually be seeing my students six periods a week because we get that, that double lab period once a week where they get an opportunity to do more extended lessons with hands-on components. We don't necessarily have that opportunity anymore. Now, I am very fortunate. My district has purchased um, subscriptions for some really great online interactive labs, things where the students, it's not that they're just clicking buttons to observe what happens but they're able to use manipulatives, right? And change variables so that they can see how that's gonna impact, you know, the end result of an experiment. So that's been really, you know, it's a, it's a decent substitute. I don't think it'll ever really, you know, completely substitute the, the hands-on component. Um, for some of the labs, I've been setting them up as demos, right? Where I can kind of set them up at home and, and the students and I can discuss what we're seeing. We can still make observations. Um, I had wanted to, in certain cases, have the students run certain experiments from home, but I do recognize that there are equity issues, that not every student is going to have the materials, even, you know, as simple as, as some people may think that they are. Um, and if they don't have them available to them, the last thing I ever want to do is make any student feel left out, left right, out. or unable to participate. And so we've been trying to work around that as well. So definitely doing our best to incorporate the scientific thought process, you know, but in a way that keeps everybody safe and at the same time involved as well. Absolutely. I think safety on the, on one aspect is something that we definitely, especially at the high school level where some of your experiments can be, uh, they, they definitely need supervision. Uh, yeah. But you bring a, a very important aspect when we talk about equity and things like household items such as baking powder or or tin foil those things may may not be at the fingertips of our students and we have to be very conscious of that um and we have to be very conscious that they may some of our students may not be able to afford it at that time and uh and i've seen some i've seen some districts really put together science packets send them home and whatnot and uh and i and i thought that was a, a you know a relatively easy way for us to remedy some of that but at the same time um 
delivering those packets to 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 the families can be somewhat of a, a challenging job as well, uh, especially Absolutely. during the pandemic. We want to be safe. We want to be. We want our teachers to feel safe. We want our our staff to feel safe. So those are the, some challenges that um that are were very real, and they really show the inequities that we have in the, as a state when it comes to you know the haves and haves nots. So um you did you did do something that I thought was very interesting. We talked about this a little bit uh, earlier about inviting some special guests within the classroom. So can you speak a little bit more about that? So um, another responsibility that I have at Clifton High School is I'm also the STEM Academy advisor. We have these um, academies designed, they're academic pathways basically for our students that are coming into high school with a general idea of what they might like to do after graduation. Um, and so I am the advisor to the students who are enrolled in our STEM Academy. And so since these students are thinking about going into the science, engineering, mathematics fields after graduation, um, I've decided that one of the things that the pandemic, in my opinion, has actually made easier would be to bring in guest speakers. And so we have um, had some amazing people that work in the STEM fields come in and talk to our students about their journeys. Um, and really, I mean, we're trying to make sure that these individuals also come from a diverse background as well. So we've had a physician's assistant, um, we had a surgeon, um, and the surgeon actually happened to grow up in the city right next to Clifton, you know, which I thought was really powerful for these students, you know, because sometimes at that point in their career it might seem a little unattainable, right? It's like, oh, you know, that's cool that they could do that, but that I can't do that, you know, but this guy grew up in Passaic right next door, just like, you know, just like me, he looks like me. And, um, you know, that was a really powerful discussion. We had a, um, a vertebrate paleontologist speak to our students. We had um, a mechanical engineer, you know, so these people are talking about their experiences with education, right? They talk about their pathway, their jobs, their responsibilities. What does it really mean to go into a job in this field? And we've had a lot of really great feedback from our students. This is all taking place after our academic day. Um, so after classes are done for the day, these students are choosing to come during time. Like it's not a requirement. And I usually get about between 40 and 50 students to come to wow. each one of these discussions. And in my opinion, the best part about it, I tell my presenters, don't bring too much, don't plan too much, because these kids will have questions. And they, I mean, I, they would go on for hours if I let them, you know, picking the brains of these professionals. And I really like it because I feel like one of the big disconnects that I see in education is that really connectivity to the, the professions that exist, you know, outside of the classroom. The students understand, you know, that this is a subject they like, but they may not know all the jobs that exist, you know, if this is an area you're interested in. And it seems sure. to be um, something that is really opening their eyes. And I also, I, I love listening to these professionals. They all have all had such unique experiences um, and they make every job just sound so interesting. <laughs> that's awesome. I, that's gotta be something very special. Now, when she said she's getting 40 to 50 individuals after school, we're talking about 40, 50 individuals after school during remote learning which means they have to come back to their computer and sit in the chair. And so that, I mean, on alone, after being in class all day, 
that they're willingly get, uh, wanting to give up their free time, high schoolers at that at that point, yeah. uh, to come and sit. Them, th this must mean it's very special. It's working. It's working. Uh, if the content, I was a, a firm believer that if the content is is good content, that your students will come. If it's good content, they're if they are not experiencing any trauma at home or anything of that nature. If it's good content and they feel like they're vested in it, they'll come. They'll come. And uh, that's that's awesome to see. That's very awesome. 40 to 50. Yeah, we wow. Have a lot of students who even now, they're very driven. They work very hard and they have, you know, ambitions for themselves and they want to know what the opportunities are. And um, I, I understand that it can be easy to get jaded, right, yeah. and to get frustrated, but understand that there are students who appreciate, you know, the work that teachers are putting into it right now. And if you present them with opportunities, there will always be students who will take you up on them and appreciate those opportunities that are being given to them. So as we move forward, and hopefully things get back to some sort of resemblance of what we had before. Now, I don't want to go back exactly back to what we were, right? Because there are some things in the normal that just weren't working when we talk about inequities and those things. But uh, hopefully we've taken time to reflect as teachers, and I know most most teachers have, to see how we can change and how we can make our, our classroom, our classroom environment, our school environments more equitable, uh, uh, something that uh, that really benefits all of our students. Um, but saying that, we, we will eventually be back in the classroom. What are some of the things that you take away from this last year in the pandemic that you'll continue to use or continue to implement after the pandemic when we get back, back into classrooms? Certainly a lot of the technology tools um, that I have discovered during this time have been invaluable to me. Um, certain free resources, which I think are so important for everybody to know, ck12.org is a free online textbook with multiple resources from kindergarten through 12th grade, every subject area. Um, this has provided me with some really amazing resources. It's basically a textbook, but because it's online, it can be updated constantly. And so a lot of those areas where there might be weakness within our actual physical textbooks, you know, now I have new resources to lean back on. Um, I also think, you know, there are certain activities that I've realized it is more efficient to do it through a simulation rather than kind of wasting the time of just going through the motions. I remember somebody when I was a young teacher talking about the difference between hands-on and minds-on. You know, when they say just because a student is actively doing something, it doesn't actually mean that they're learning anything important here. Make sure that you're using your time as efficiently as possible. And so while there are a ton of labs that I do think, you know, the value is in doing them by hand, there are a few now that I say, I think I might switch this out. You know, I might use this time in a much better way because we can get our results much more quickly and really what are they learning just by cutting and pasting or coloring something right where we can yeah. use you know our technology to improve that um so that's a big aspect of it too the third one is the use of certain tools where the students can become more interactive during presentations like pear deck i love pear deck because it gives me real-time information about how much my students are actually understanding when i'm presenting new information um I could be doing a small lecture to introduce a topic and then I send my students off and then I see a lot of them sitting around 
not knowing where to begin because they were actually confused by the material that I was presenting, but maybe too shy to raise their hand to ask a question. With Pear Deck, it allows all of my students to anonymously answer a question, right? And I can sit there and in real time and say, all right, we're not quite ready to move forward yet. Let me go back and review this, right, before we move on. And again, just such a valuable tool. I like it in virtual learning because it keeps the kids involved, right, during like a PowerPoint presentation, a Google slide presentation. Um, but really the information that I'm collecting, I know a lot of teachers don't like the word data, but a lot of data, you know, is really useful. Um, sometimes we view it, like we immediately think of standardized testing or this, but really, again, there's so much good use to make of good data. And something like that, where you teach something, you ask a question and you immediately know the response. It's not, oh, I have to wait to collect the worksheet to like five hours later, figure out that my student didn't understand it. I know now, and I can immediately begin correcting um, the misconception or the confusion. And to Absolutely. me, that's valuable. You know, I mean, you know, tried and true method before would be the exit slip, right? The exit slip strategy. And that kind of uh, took place where you can give them a small, when you had your Google Classroom, a small Google, like a question, right? And they can answer it. But now with Pear Deck, and I use it just a little bit, those questions can happen within the lesson and you can yes. address it at that point. I'll, you know what? These couple students didn't get it. Take a small group real quick. Everyone, I got a question for you. Answer this. I'm going to talk to these students real quick. That to me, uh, th these type of, you know, slide ad uh, additions, add-on technologies, those are something I'm always going to use from now on, yeah. from presentations to my colleagues to my classroom, right? From my colleagues to my classroom, I'm going to use these uh, these presentation add-ons. They were they were awesome. Uh, they were a blessing, too, just to keep them engaged. And I another thing that I saw from from remote learning are some of your students who aren't necessarily the outgoing, uh, you know, type prototype, you know, where the ones that don't like to really raise their hand, they might know what's going on in class, but they're, unless you really call on me, just let me be, let me do my work. Uh, they can participate now anonymously without raising their hand or even saying anything to anyone. And they can yeah, be part of that conversation, you know, going back to the, um, you know, the issue where with equity, we have some students who are in, you know, studio apartments and they have two siblings who are also doing distance learning and it's very loud in the background. Absolutely. So again, they may not feel comfortable unmuting, you know, in order to answer a question. So yeah, the Pear Deck, because other, you know, yes, you can type into the chat and everything, but the Pear Deck basically gives everybody an opportunity to participate without that worry or concern of, oh, I'm going to be embarrassed. It's too loud. Or what if I'm Wrong. wrong. You know, it's all of that is kind of taken away and it's just a real true reflection of where our students are at at that moment. And we can use this going forward at any moment. We can use this going forward. And that's what I like the most about these these add on technologies for our, our slides is they're applicable in the classroom as well. Right. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, hopefully, you know, our, our colleagues who are listening to this can understand that there were some good things that came out of this. It wasn't all negative. This is a time for us to be reflective and, and really start to compile the resources that worked. Use them going forward. Um, let's get to do this little segment, get to know a little bit about you uh, when it comes to you as a person, because I do want our, our, our listeners to understand that teachers are, are, are moms and dads and, and sisters and brothers and 
sons and daughters and uh we do have uh, you know lives that exist outside the classroom even though education is such a big part of our life and we do take it home with us whether we want to or not uh but i just got a couple quick questions for you and you could just jump into it uh first question is uh what hobbies do you have outside of education? So being a um, working mom, I, I don't get to spend much time on my hobbies. I'm not going to lie, but things that I do enjoy when I get a chance to do them, I love to hike. And so when the weather's nice, I do take my, I have two boys. I do take them hiking um, as often as I can. My youngest is five. So he's kind of just built up the endurance to really, you know, do something um, like a long walk like that. And the other thing that was a hobby when I was younger, and I'm really excited because I just got a new pair for my birthday. I got some rollerblades. I oh. used to love rollerblading when I was younger. And I got a pair for my birthday, and I'm going to rock those bad boys as soon as the weather is nice again. Well, now, now I know we have two things in common. First and foremost, I have two boys. Well, I have one on the way. And, uh, Congratulations. And, yeah, I, haven't, I shared that a little bit, but uh, I have one on the way. My oldest is four, but I love rollerblading too. I used to rollerblade when I was in high school. I rollerbladed all the time, Angel. And at some point, I just, I don't know what happened to them. I lost my rollerblades and then, you know, pregnancy and this and that. And <laughs> I just stopped. And this year I said, you know what? I need to rollerblade again. And so oh. this spring, watch out, world. I'm coming <laughs> for you, my rollerblades. You might catch her on the boardwalk or something of that nature. We, we'll see. Uh, I have a Congratulations on... Yeah. I'm off social media right now. I decided to do a detox for, for a couple months. That's not um, a bad so thing. I actually think I may have seen a post about that right before I exited. So yeah. Amazing. He's coming in, in July. So. And in July. brothers to watch my two boys together is simultaneously the most exhausting and rewarding thing in the entire world. So you're horrible. Explode with happiness as you shake with rage sometimes. <laughs> overall amazing <laughs> my mother raised two boys and i'm telling my wife now i'm like boys are we're a little crazy we're a little crazy uh but i i mean it could be the same for girls too it depends i guess upon uh you know the the situation uh but that's awesome um nice all right so they have each other it's special. yeah yeah uh what what's your favorite place to get a cup of coffee or tea um, I don't drink coffee or tea. No? Actually, I don't like hot beverages, if I'm mm. being totally honest. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> right. so, I will tell you, though, that I've spent inordinate amounts of time at Starbucks because that's where I would always go to do all of my grad school work. I, I'm a kind of person that needs to remove myself from distractions, which is another reason why virtual instruction has been challenging for yeah. me. Um, so I used to go to Starbucks and I would get um, a half green tea, half lemonade sweetened and do my, my grad school papers. Ah, I like the green tea. I like the green tea. We'll throw that in there. We'll throw that in there. Uh, besides the students, because this is the easiest question uh, by answering, yeah, I love my students. What do you love most about your career besides the students? Um, honestly, the camaraderie uh, between me and my colleagues. I, like we mentioned before, um, I, I form like little families, you know, where, where I work and where I am right now, um, there is a small group of, of science teachers who we are in contact, probably an unhealthy amount where, you know, we have a, text <laughs> stream, a group text message where um, we are constantly in contact with one another, but it's, it's great both professionally, 
because I mean, there's nothing I welcome more than a text message from one of my colleagues saying, look at this great article I just found on evolution. Literally at 11 o'clock last night, I got a video clip, you know, that one of my colleagues said, You'll, you're gonna love this. Um, but you know, we really lean on each other. You know, we appreciate each other and it's, it's more than just a professional appreciation. You know, it's, it's a real relationship and, and I cherish those relationships. I really do. Definitely. Um, if you weren't a teacher, what would you pursue as a career? Uh, you know, after having my guest speakers in, I'm going to tell you physician's assistant, because I'm realizing now, right. My, my original pathway, I kind of wanted to do medicine, but I was a little stressed about, you know, certain aspects of it. A physician's assistant sounds like such a great opportunity where you can kind of go and practice medicine. Um, but you're working so closely with, with a physician that you're never necessarily doing it alone. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of the, the practice of the medicine without some of the stresses that you may be concerned about as a doctor, not to say that being a physician's assistant isn't stressful. Um, but I also feel like it allows for a little bit more of that life home balance too, which I was a concern of mine going into medicine. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Just, you know, talking to some of my friends who are doctors right now and how, especially after this year, how exhausted they are and how I think part of the reason why I became a teacher was the time with family, right? My, my sons would be off when I'm off. And I, and I think that was really important because I never really had, you know, that time. Uh, my mom worked really hard. So, uh, and she worked a lot. So, uh, that time with family is, is very precious to me. Um, but yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I kind of thought the same thing and um, I feel like I was almost tricked because yeah well you're bringing your work I, yeah I'm kind of, I'm home but I'm working so much of it so it's you know it's it's really difficult like if I were to point out what my biggest weakness probably is and I, I hate to be that guy it's oh I work too hard I really do like I have my kids kind of pulling at me sometimes like mommy please put your computer away come play with us and it's it's a challenge you it know, is. I used to cherish that drive home between school and, and home because that's when I could kind of decompress and separate. And now teaching from home, I feel like that doesn't really exist anymore. It all just kind of blends together. And, you know, I, I would tell people if you need to develop a routine. You need to do something for yourself to allow yourself to separate from the work because that's one of the biggest challenges. Yeah, I, I agree. And especially when you're at home, it's just there is no separation. There's a... Uh... Like I like you just said, I'm working during my commute time, right? You're working during the time you were commuting where you couldn't work, um, and and so that that can be kind of difficult to separate that. And it's really hard to do that as a teacher because this just the moral aspect. You you just want to be there for your kids no matter what, and sometimes you have to make a, a hard decision. Um, you just feel like you're being torn in multiple directions all at once. You know, you feel like, I don't know about you. Sometimes I feel that way. I feel like either I'm not giving enough to my students, but then I'm not giving enough to my kids at home. And you know, yeah. you, you have to strike a balance that works for you. I, I, I understand completely. I understand completely. Um, if, which is funny because it can, brings us to our next question. If there was one thing you could change in the world of education, what would it be? Um, well, I mean, in education overall, yeah. I would probably bring back what I was saying earlier, that disconnect between the classroom and the, the professional world. I think that a lot of our standards, at least I can speak for the science standards, they are trying to bridge that gap to make learning much more authentic. But I don't 
know how successfully it's translating into the classroom right now. Um, you know, I wish we had more opportunities for field trips, which um, sometimes are viewed at as wasteful, you know, or unnecessary, but really can be some of the most, you know, educational experiences that students get, you know, an opportunity to see the subject being used in real life. And I would love to, to be able to bridge that gap a little bit more and get more uh, of the real world into the school. And that's another where we see a huge gap in equity is where students have been to, right? So uh, because of liability complaints or issues, um, you know, in the past, we would take large field trips that spanned uh, an entire weekend or a week. And those programs have somewhat uh, lessened since, uh, I don't know, the last 10, 15 years. Uh, and I'd like to see them come back to those those uh, field trips that had intention that had, you know, uh, a genuine lesson behind them. Um, we miss those even in an elementary level. I think we can use more. We take, I think, one in our school district, one a year. Or, wow. and, and it's like, you know, let's get our kids out there in the field. Let's get it. Let's go. Let's go watch a play. You know, let's do something of that nature. So, One of the uh, coolest experiences I actually had as a teacher when I was a, I was a young teacher, um, I by myself took ten students to the Grand Canyon. Wow! Um, yes, and I remember actually while we were on the bus, you know, we had the plane had landed. I had you know calmed myself down because I was very stressed about this <laughs> responsibility. We're driving um, to go to the Grand Canyon. And one of my students looked at me and she said, Mrs. Graziano, what's the big deal? It's just a hole in the ground. And that was her perspective. And I said, you just wait. And, you know, the look on their faces, you know, when they were there and all of a sudden, you know, just this moment where they realized the world is so big. There's so much about this world that I don't know. And it just all of a sudden awakens a curiosity with them. That that group of students, I only did that trip once because it was actually the last year that I was in my first district. Yeah. Um, they went on to become like world travelers, you know, and that was their first real big trip. And and so many of them actually say, you know, this this really made me love the idea of going out and seeing the world and learning more. And again, there there really is value in bringing our students out you know, when it's possible. I know it's a challenge, you know, that's not a possibility for everybody, but that was a really cool experience. Yeah, yeah. A lot of it has to do with the mighty dollar, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, and this is a great time. Like I said, COVID is a great time for us to reflect and, and, and not just teachers, but the education profession in general. And where where is where where are resources being used and where can we allocate them so that they're being used in a useful manner, right? Mm -hmm. Something that impacts our children. Um, but yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I miss the field trips. I do. I love those field trips. Uh, County Teacher of the Year Karaoke Night. What song are you singing? Oh, for Karaoke Night? Yeah, we're doing it. We're doing it. Once we get back, I'm telling you, this is going to be our first meeting with each other. Uh, living on a Prayer, right? Uh, that's a good karaoke song. That's, usually... <laughs> It's the either one or two when it comes to karaoke in New Jersey. That's one or two. Yeah, the other I one would be Bon Jovi. Yeah, the, the other the other one is Journey. So, <laughs> of course. Uh, and last but not least, uh, and this one takes a little bit of time. What's your favorite word? I knew you were going to ask this because I've been listening to your podcast, so I came prepared. My favorite word is ooh, ooh Genesis. 
which is a biology word. And my students know whenever I teach this, I, I sing and I go, ooh, ooh, Genesis. Uh, it is the process of cell division that produces eggs in sexually reproducing organisms. And I just oh. love the word. Lee moly. <laughs> meiosis, but it's just a fun word to say. And, um, you know, it's a word that I think every one of my students who leaves my class remembers that term. Well, you got another one because I don't think I'm ever going to forget that term. Ooh, ooh, Genesis. <laughs> I love it. Oh, wow. All right. This is your last moment. Is there anything you'd like to, to tell our listeners, your students, your families, anyone who's listening, colleagues, uh, your mic drop moment? What would you like to, a message you'd like to put out there? You know, education, when you work in education, it is more than just a job. You know, this is a passion that you pursue. So um, I guess if I'm saying this to everybody, my students, you've, you know, influenced me and helped me to grow year after year. Um, my colleagues, same thing. Working with you is an absolute pleasure. And, you know, to those future educators out there, just understand that what you're doing, you have to love. You have to love it um, because there are going to be times where it's difficult, um, but what you're doing is going to be impacting students in ways that you can't even begin to understand. Our job is amazing and difficult and rewarding and frustrating and exhausting and exhilarating all at the same time. And there is nothing in the world that I would rather be doing. Oh, couldn't take, you couldn't have said it any better, Megan. I got to say, it's been a pleasure to listen to you today, talk to you, get to know you one-on-one. -on -one. We've only met in groups, but I, I really appreciate this conversation. And thank you for all the work that you've been doing inside and outside the classroom. Uh, your students are very lucky to have you as a teacher. Angel, thank you so much. This has been just so much fun. Hopefully you got your message out there. And uh, like I said, you know, you're, you have me for anything you need. If you need me to come and help you with anything. Uh, I don't know if I, how, how well I know about Ooh, Ooh Genesis, but uh, I'll be more than happy to <laughs> help you. <laughs> Sounds great. To our listeners, thank you for listening to the Pedagogy Podcast. I am your host, New Jersey State Teacher of the Year for 2021, Angel Santiago. If you like what you heard, please hit the share button, hit the like button. Uh, make sure you get the word out. And hopefully we'll hear from you soon. Uh, we're going to leave you with a little bit of uh, Living on the Prayer from uh, Bon Jovi. So thank you once again. Have a great day. Whoa, whoa.